Father, we uh, uh, do ask today that, it, God, as we get into your word, once again, we want to be people who grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to better understand you, but more importantly, we want to fall more in love with you. And God, I pray that as we begin to look at this and, and kind of jump into a, a kind of a, a, a topic that can uh, be cause controversy and, and uh, some people want to fight and argue about. I pray that most of all, we would understand our God is in control. And I pray that you would bless this time, that God, we would grow and we would understand how you're working in this world. And that God, you haven't given up and you haven't stopped. So bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're getting into the heart of 2 Thessalonians and, and the heart of what Paul wanted to write to them. And I find it very interesting that the heart of it has to do with this thing we call end times. Theologically, it's called eschatology. And, uh, you know, in School of Ministry, we're teaching that right now this, this semester. But listen, as we think about that, man, this can be such a controversial topic. And I don't want to cause fights today, and I don't want to, you know, I'm sure I'm going to offend somebody, and, you know, you just have to forgive me because that's what Jesus says. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of work through those things. But, but listen, I think it's important to know why you believe what you believe. And I think you need to stand for what you believe. But this is one area that, you know, doctrinally, it's not an area to split over and get angry over. But once again, I think it's an important area. And you have different views, uh, you know, several different views. We're gonna kind of look at a couple today as we begin to dissect this and look at it. But here's the important, important, important truth. Jesus is coming back. I don't care, I don't care, your, well, I kind of care about your timetable, but he is coming back. And that's the thing. And listen, you don't need to understand eschatology so you can you know, write out this great timeline and have this great defense for what you believe. You need to understand eschatology so you can have a better relationship with your God and you can you know, be closer to him. So that's what this is all about. So having said that, I'm gonna, you know, gonna kind of give some information so some of you can you know, kind of turn it off right now if you want and uh, you know, go on. But I'm gonna approach this from what is called theologically a dispensation dispensational point of view. Dispensationalism is what it means is we believe that God works in different dispensations different ways. And uh, we'll get a little bit more into that, but that's what we believe. And so there are some who are antagonistic, man, you know, they'll get mad. You even bring up the word dispensation and they get upset. So that's one side. The other side is more of a covenantal theology or reformed theology, and they have a different view. And listen, once again, I, you know, hey, I've got brothers that I really love and sisters in, in both camps, and, but I'm gonna approach it from the one that I believe is right and I believe is correct. And here's the thing, you don't have to go with what I say, you gotta figure out what you believe for yourself. And you gotta study and understand and figure it out for yourself. Now, having said that, listen, having said that because I'm a dispensationalist, I believe, I believe there's a pre-tribulational rapture. If you've been here, we talked about that in 1 Thessalonians. And I believe the church is gonna be raptured before the tribulation. The thing that bothers me is some people say, oh, it's just because you don't wanna go through the tribulation. 
Well, I don't know anybody that's like looking forward to the tribulation. You know, when people say that, I think, well, that's a lame thing to say. Who on the right mind is going, whoo, I can hardly wait. But what they're trying to say is pre-tribulational people believe that the church is not gonna be persecuted. I know the church is gonna be persecuted. Why? Because that's what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me those who love uh, Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So listen, it's not to avoid persecution, but it is to understand some things. The tribulation, that seven-year period, is God pouring out his wrath. Jesus has already taken the wrath of God for me. Why would he pour it out on me? So that's, that's one of the arguments. Now, on the other side, looking on the other side, the post-tribbers, some pre-tribbers say, well, you post-tribbers just want to be in that camp so you can prove you can make it through it. And I do know a couple post-tribbers that go, I'm going to show, I'm going to make it all the way to the end. I've read the book. You know, if you read Revelation, man, there's not a whole lot of people to get saved at the end of the tribulation. I'm sorry, to get raptured. I always joke with them and say, yeah, you know, at the end of the, at the, end of the tribulation, the rapture is going to be like five people. You know, because there's not a lot left. Listen with the with the what's going on. So there's those two views, main views of the of the tribulation, and then there's just those who are saying all of it's spiritualized and you know none of it's taking place. I think that's not being intellectually honest with scripture and looking at things and developing it. So we're gonna kind of work through this today and talk about it. So once again, I'm gonna come from the position I believe, and if you don't agree with me, that's fine. You can talk to me on the way out. We can discuss things. I don't mind discussing it. I'm not, listen, you're not gonna like shake me up if you ask me why I believe that because I know what I believe and why I believe it. And I don't mind having discussions and conversations. I think it's bad if we're not open to that. Now, having said that, when I study, when I, when I get ready to teach, first of all, I read passages like multiple times. I'm reading them over and over and over, starting to do some inductive Bible study, starting to do observations. So I read them over and over, and then I always buy a minimum of at least a dozen commentaries, if not more, and single-volume commentaries, not a single-volume that I want to see if... Other guys see this passage the same as me. <clears throat> I don't get the commentary to figure out what it says. I get the commentary to make sure I'm on the right track. I call these guys my friends, and I just hang out with my friends. And, you know, we exchange ideas. They usually don't listen to me, but I listen to them. <laughs> but I always listen. I always buy several, at least two, maybe three commentaries that I know are going to approach something from a different position that I do, because I want to understand what they're saying. I want to know, and I want to know if maybe they're right, and I want to know also how I can talk to them, you know, quote, and if I can defend my position. So I think that's important. So don't get all uptight. Hey, if you want to talk to me, you're not going to offend me. You're not going to hurt me. You're not going to shake my faith. It's okay to approach that. So that's all the groundwork. Now, Paul has just talked to this church about their going through intense persecution. If you were here last week in chapter one, the persecution for the church at Thessalonica had been ramped up and they're really going through some intense persecution and it's freaking them out a bit. 
Paul has written 1 Thessalonians. He sent the letter. Evidently, he got feedback from that. And now he's beginning to answer some questions of what they have about 1 Thessalonians. And in chapter 4, he talks about the rapture. So now listen to what he says here. And I do all that because I think it's important. Listen to what he says. In verse 1, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... And are gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or letter as if, it, as if from us as though the day of Christ or the day of the Lord had come. So here's what Paul's worried about. These guys are freaked out a little bit. Those terms he uses when he talks about don't be shaken in your mind or troubled are some intense terms. Listen, these guys are in freak mode. You ever been around people that are in freak mode and you're trying to calm them down like, like you know, don't get that way. Well, that's where they're at. And here's what's happened. Somebody has come in and maybe even, maybe even this happened because he says whether by spirit or by word, it sounds to me like somebody gave a prophetic utterance during one of their times of gathering together and somebody in that prophetic utterance said something that completely was contrary to what Paul said and then they ended it with, thus saith the Lord. That's a little freaky, right? Now, here's what I've learned from reading my Bible. If somebody stands up and does something like that, we're to judge the prophets. We're to open up our Bible and see if what they say is true or not. But these guys got it, and then somebody was writing a letter uh, contrary to what Paul had taught them. So there's some stuff going on. These guys are confused, so they're in freak mode. Now, Paul in verse 1 says, I do not want you, listen, he says, I'm, I'm going to talk to you concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So here's, here's the thing. He's talking about one event, the day of the Lord, and I'll talk about that more in a minute. And the day of the Lord, though, is, I shouldn't say one event, but one thing. The day of the Lord is a period of time. It's not a 24-hour period. It's God's judgment coming. And God's judgment begins, this thing we call the tribulation, the day of the Lord, begins with the rapture of the church in my eschatology. I'm gonna teach it that way. If you don't agree, it's fine. Begins with the rapture of the church and then now he's going to explain the other things. So he says the coming of our Lord and our being gathered to him. He's talking about two different things. Now he doesn't have to go over our being gathered together to him because he's already discussed that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Are you with me? You kind of following that? So he's already discussed that. So that's, he's discussing what happens after that and what's going to come after that. So then it says, listen, then it says in verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. Now, you and I need to do something. I think we should underline that. Whether we're talking about eschatology, whether we're talking about, you know, salvation, soteriology, whether we're talking about Jesus, whatever, we need to be people that we don't let people deceive us. We need to be Bible readers. We need to know our Bible, and we need to not just take somebody else's word for it. I do not expect you to listen to me and leave here and go, that's it. I expect you to read Scripture, study Scripture, and see if I'm right. It's okay, so don't let people deceive you. And then, here's, so here's what he says. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless... The falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, 
who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So here's what Paul says. I don't need to discuss the rapture because we've already discussed that. But we do need to discuss the day of the Lord, this thing we call the tribulation. And some people get uptight with that, so we could call it the 70th week of Daniel. I get tired of people like, you know, well, you can't call it that, and, then, you know, and I'm just thinking, oh, you drive me crazy. So there is this time period, there's a seven-year period that has been prophesied that has not happened yet. So I don't care what you label it. It's... You know, Jesus called it the tribulation. Then he called the last part the great tribulation. But don't get all caught up in semantics. All of that is the day of the Lord. God is going to judge this planet. And he's going to judge this planet for everything that's ever happened. And then he's gonna judge every individual for everything that they've done. And if you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you won't be judged because you're already covered. And so that is all gonna, so he says, here's what he says. Don't be deceived letting someone tell you that day's already happened. Because it hasn't. He says certain things have to happen before the day of the Lord is going to happen. Now, again, my reformed buddies, my covenantal guys, here's what they say. They will say that what he's talking about here is you know, something that we're all gonna go through. Let me ask you something. If you read verse five, well, read verse five and then we'll come back. Verse five says, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? When I read verse five, here's what I come to the conclusion. Paul and the church at Thessalonica had some discussions that I'm not privy to. And obviously, Paul had taught them about eschatology. That kind of blows my mind. Like, Paul was only there for four weeks. And generally, if you introduce somebody to Jesus and you start discipling them, you don't get right into end times. You usually wait a while. But you got four or five-week-old Christians that he jumped right into. And he says, we discussed it when we were there. So listen, this passage is kind of, some ways, hard to understand because we're not privy to what he just said. We don't know what they discussed but he had discussed it with them. So let me ask you this. If Paul had told them, you're gonna go through the tribulation and then Jesus is gonna come and gather us, what would they be thinking if great persecution had just hit them? They'd be thinking, woohoo, Jesus is coming, right? But they're confused and they're going through persecution. Are you with me? So that should be a clue that we should, we should understand something. So he says, listen, you need to know that day's not gonna come, the day of the Lord, until there's a great falling away or the falling, I like it, unless the falling away or the apostasy comes first and a man of sin is revealed. So here's what he's saying. There's an event and there's a person that is gonna take place before the tribulation really gets underway. They're gonna be set in place. There's a great apostasy. Now, now some dispensationalists say that falling away is actually the church being raptured. I don't think that. I think, you're, I think you're not being honest with original language and stuff if you're doing that. He's talking about apostasy. Never in the Bible is the rapture spoken of as apostasy. 
Apostasy is what? Turning away from the faith. Those who turn away from the faith. And he doesn't say an apostasy. He says the. There is going to come a time where there's a major, major turning away from the faith. So let me propose this to you. We're cruising along, and tomorrow, the rapture happens. Woohoo! Some of you are not excited. Like, do you have plans? So the rapture happens, and every born again believer is gone. Are there still going to be church or people in churches? Yeah? They're going to be the posers, right? That's what I call them. It's like the guys who wear football jerseys on Sunday. It's like, what are you wearing that for? You're not on the team. But anyway, sorry. We used to have a whole Raider nation over here. We got somebody. What do you got on back there? Cardinals? (laughs) I know. I know. I just said that. So anyway, so they're posers. Don't, everybody look here. Don't look back there. So listen, they're posers. And what's going to happen to those people once the church is gone? What's going to happen? They're going to turn from their faith. That will be the apostasy that takes place because they're going to have to look for something else. And they're going to have to figure out what just happened and why some of the people aren't there anymore, why some of them disappeared. And, you know, hey, all the religions of the world, people got to figure this out. The church is suddenly going to disappear, and people have to figure it out. Now, it's interesting to me, being from Bisbee, talking to some New Agers, some of the New Agers in Bisbee have, they, New Agers already have a plan for when the church gets raptured. Here's what they're going to put out. That Mother Earth got so sick of us Christians that she vomited us off the planet. (laughs) That's kind of interesting, huh? I believe when the church gets raptured, the apostasy will take place. And then it says, this one, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the lawless one, this guy, he's going to show up and he's going to begin to work, quote, his agenda to fulfill the plan of Satan to try and stop God from accomplishing his plan. Do you understand? This whole, all of this stuff is, just boils down to this. Satan is trying to prevent God from keeping his promises, period. So, listen, that's where it's all coming. So, you have this one, you have this one, here he's called the man of sin, John, The apostle calls him the Antichrist, not just against Christ, but instead of Christ, right? He's that person that's going to take over. I think a very charismatic person, a person who is going to uh, make a lot of deals, work a lot of things, and I think he's going to be a global leader. Isn't it interesting that in our generation, we're becoming more global? And isn't it interesting that when somebody doesn't want to be global and they don't want to think about global things, everybody comes against them? Do you pay attention to that? Yeah, it's big. It's big right now. So listen, we're set up for it. Now, this person, the Antichrist, it's kind of interesting to me because when you think about this person, there, you know, some people say, who is it? 
And you know, I've, I've shared before, you know, and you can, go through, you can go through a list of church history. You know, the early church obviously thought it was Nero, the way he was persecuting the church, and then Domitian, and then different, you had different uh, rulers of Rome, and then, and then when you had the Great Reformation, then it was all the popes, and, and they got picked on for a while, and then it was Napoleon, and then it was Hitler, and you know, on down the list, down to even, even uh, 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 Microsoft. Gates, thank you, went out of my head. Even Bill Gates got a little sub-mention that he might be the Antichrist. And then most of you know, I really believe the Antichrist is Clint Eastwood. <laughs> you know, you know I mean, hey, you know what? You read what other people say and all of their stuff. To, to get to Bill Gates, you have to get the numbers in ASCII or ASI, however you say that, and you gotta work his name through that and it comes out to 666. I'm thinking, that's a lot of work. So why do I think Clint Eastwood? It's pretty simple because he rides a pale horse. Mm -hmm. Now some of you are going, wow, I did not ever put that together. Listen, but just joking aside, but all through, and here's what I do believe though. I do believe for every generation there is an antichrist in the waiting. Why do I believe that? Because Satan doesn't know the day or hour. He doesn't know when it's gonna happen. He's gotta have somebody. And hey, he's, you know, he's demonic, he can do it. That can work out. And I believe, listen, I believe every generation. Even John says there have been many antichrists and the antichrist is yet to come. So listen, we have that going on. So the antichrist, who is this individual? Well, we're never gonna identify him till he shows up. But to understand more about him, you gotta read Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter nine, Daniel chapter 11, and it wouldn't hurt to read Daniel one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, and then eight and nine, and then 10 and 11. But listen, you need to get a picture. Don't, don't just draw it from here. You need to get a picture. In chapter seven, he's the little horn, if you're familiar with chapter seven. In chapter nine, he's the prince to come. In chapter 11, he's the king spoken of. Listen, Daniel lays it out. If anybody in all of the prophetic history, Daniel really lays it out and gives it to us. So here you've got this individual, and then, and then in Revelation, you read the whole book of Revelation, talks about this individual. Now he's gonna come, and what is he gonna do? Listen to what it says he's gonna do, because I think this is important. He's going to oppose and exalt himself all above all that is called God. He is going to want to take the position of God and put himself in that position. And not just that, listen, and he says all that is worship, and so he's going he's to put himself so he's worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Listen, he is going to set himself up in the temple in Jerusalem as God. Now, a couple of my covenant brothers, they said, no, actually what this is talking about is just ourselves and fighting our flesh because we are the temple of God and that, you know, that's what's going on. Technically, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, and Jesus Christ, listen, I, I, think, that's, I think that's a stretch. I don't think that's a, a good way. I know the Holy Spirit's God, but I think that's kind of stretching it, and that's kind of missing the point. This is not something, listen, this is not something you can spiritualize away and say, what's going on? There's an individual, and he's going to end up accomplishing 
something that is huge in our generation, peace in the Middle East. Not just peace treaties with Israel and this nation and Israel and that nation. He is going to bring complete peace in the Middle East and he's gonna bring a peace between, I believe, Islam and the Jews. And I believe there's gonna be a third temple. I've been to Israel. I've been able to look. I've been up on the Temple Mount. There's an area in Israel that where they believe the temple stood. Right now, when you see pictures of Jerusalem, what is the one thing you always see? The dome, right? Big golden dome. It's called the Dome of the Rock. That's on the Temple Mount. And the problem has been for years they could never build a third temple because you have the Dome of the Rock. What are you gonna do with the Dome of the Rock if you're gonna build another temple? Well, that's a huge, I can't remember how many acres. It's huge up there. There's not just like one little place. There's a Dome of the Rock and then over here is the Al-Aqsa Mosque that's very important. But the Dome of the Rock is like the third most holy place for Islam. So I understand that does create a problem. And if you're wondering, the Dome of the Rock, here's what's kind of bizarre to me. The Dome of the Rock is a dome, obviously, that's gold now, that covers a rock that has a hoof print in it from a horse. And the the story goes that that is the very spot where Muhammad launched into heaven on his horse. And when he took off, he like left a hoof print. You guys are like, I didn't write this story. This is weird to me. It's weird like, like he had to have such thrust that it like, <laughs> I'm thinking what on earth? Anyway, that's what they believe. I've never gone in to check it out because written around the outside of the Dome of the Rock are blasphemies against our God in Arabic, but they're, they're definitely blaspheming my God. I'm not gonna go in that building. You know, other people will say, do you care if I go in? I don't care, you're an adult. You can make up your own mind. I'm not going in there. So. A lot of people say you can't do the temple because that's there. The only problem is every model, every drawing, and even in the book of Ezekiel, the temple lines up, the doorway of the temple lines up perfectly with the eastern gate. It's right in line with, it'd be like that's the eastern gate, the temple's gotta be, I'm gonna fall, right here. You gotta build it right here. You know where the Dome of the Rock is? Over there. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. So the Dome of the Rock's over there, and here's where it lines up with the Eastern Gate. So here's the thing. There is a little shrine that lines up perfectly with the Eastern Gate. It's called the Dome of the Spirits. I love getting inside that. Nobody cares about the Dome of the Spirits. The Muslims have it, but they don't care. I've gone inside that, and it's just, it's just four pillars with a dome on it. You go inside bedrock of Mount Moriah is in there. And to hear, I always stand in there and here's what I always say to myself, my God is real because I'm standing on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah where Abraham offered Isaac, where they built a temple and the temple was built on bedrock. Huh, huh. And this lines up with the Eastern Gate. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel says this, Ezekiel 10 and 11, I think, or 10 and 11 and 12, or 8, 9, 10 and 11. I'm trying to get you guys in your Bible. It says when, when, when God, and I'm gonna paraphrase, I'm gonna paraphrase this, right? When God was finally like, I've had it with you guys, I'm leaving. 
And when God, the kind of glory of God, leaves the temple, he comes out and he crosses the threshold and then it says he went out and he went out the eastern gate, he crossed the Kidron Valley, he went up the Mount of Olives and disappeared. When Jesus came for the triumphal entry, when he rode the donkey, how did he come? Down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, into the Eastern Gate. Someone should have been reading their Bible. Because they should have seen, just like the Shekinah glory left, the Shekinah glory came back. And they missed it. This is a problem. Sometimes we get so dug in, we miss it. So they missed it. So listen, that tells me that has to line up. Now, I believe, listen, the, the Muslims, they don't care about the, that shrine, the Dome of the Spirit. So you could, here's the thing, you could physically, and you can measure it out, you can go up there with a tape measure, they'll probably yell at you. They yell at you for anything you do on the Temple Mount. You like, can't hold your wife's hand. Like I grab my wife's hand, they start blowing a whistle. Brr, 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 holy place, holy place. Okay, all right, I got you. Here's what's funny, pastors, they watch you as a pastor, you can't open your Bible with your group. They'll freak out. You open a Bible, they'll kick you off instantly. And it's like, what are you afraid of? You afraid Jesus is gonna pop out? You think I got pop-out figures or something? And what's going on? They like freak out. And any, anything that is not like according to them, one time we walked down to the Eastern Gate, there's some steps that go down to it. Now, this gate is not the original gate, but it's over the Eastern Gate. But the wall, the wall is like, I think, I think it's 15, 20 feet thick. It's full of concrete. We walked down to look at something, and these guys like had a coronary. They go, don't you try to open that. Seriously? Like I'm going to push concrete out of the way? It's like, take a chill pill, guys. But that's how paranoid the Muslims are. Oh, one more thing. I didn't tell any of the other services this. That's why you guys come to the third service. In front of the eastern gate on the outer side, you know what there is? one of the largest Muslim cemeteries in Israel. You know why it's there? Think about it, the Messiah can't touch a dead body. Oh, so tricky, those guys. They're so, they don't believe in Jesus, but just in case. Now, I know the Messiah can just like hover over that. It's not a big deal for him, but they've done that. So anyway, so in that area, you could build the temple, you can measure it out, and you could build the temple, and you could place the temple right here, and it will never touch the Dome of the Rock. Here's my point. The Antichrist is gonna make sure that happens. And he's gonna say, they won't touch the Dome of the Rock. You guys can coexist. In Revelation, when John takes the measuring rod and measures the temple, have you ever paid attention to that? He measures it out, and those are the dimensions you can go by, but then there's an interesting thing that the Lord tells John. Do not measure the court of the Gentiles. Do not measure the outer court. That's the court of the Gentiles. He says, do not measure that. Why? For it has been given over to them. Where's the court of the Gentiles? Dome of the Rock. Here's what he tells John. Don't worry about that. That's not an issue. Oh. So I believe, listen, all of that to say, I believe he's going to set himself up in, in the temple as God. He will make a treaty with Israel according to Daniel. He'll make a treaty and halfway through that treaty. He is going to break the treaty with Israel and he's gonna really start crunching down on Israel and then he is going to put himself in the temple. Jesus called it the abomination that causes desolation. 
Now, there are those who think that 400 years prior to Jesus, if you know your history, there's a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. And there was a war, and he came and he began to conquer Jerusalem. And you know what the first thing he did was? He slaughtered a pig on the altar in the temple. That's a little offensive. And so people say, no, he was that. Even some of my, you know, uh, covenant theologian brothers, they go, well, that already happened with Antiochus Epiphanes. Then why did Jesus 400 years later say, that's still coming? Hmm. Again, read your Bibles and begin to read things. So this, this person is gonna set himself up as God and then Paul says in verse five, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, verse six, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now here's an interesting thing as we begin to put these together. In verse six, he says, now you know what is restraining, and he uses the, the, the neuter form uh, uh, you know, of, of gender. He doesn't use any gender, neutral form of gender. In verse seven, he uses the masculine form, saying he. Huh, he says, what is restraining? In verse six, in verse seven, he says he. And he says, you guys know what's going on there. What would be restraining the Antichrist from showing up? A lot of people say he's talking about the Holy Spirit because oftentimes the Holy Spirit's referred to in the, in the neuter form and then also in the masculine, and that happens. And I think in some ways he is, but you need to know something. The Holy Spirit's not gonna leave the planet. The Holy Spirit is still gonna be here during the tribulation. How do I know that? Because people get saved, and you can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. And there's gonna be a revival. Do you know that during that same time period, there's gonna be one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world going on? Tons of people are gonna get saved. They're gonna get killed, but they're gonna get saved. That's a good thing. But listen, the Holy Spirit's still here. Who's the restrainer? I believe he's talking about the Holy Spirit working through the church. Like today, right now, today, let's say tomorrow we wake up, and here's the headline. So-and-so, and I don't wanna say a name because then you'll think I'm naming the Antichrist. So, Joe Antichrist, oh, I used I did, that, <laughs> I did not mean that. Peter Antichrist, sorry, that was like, wow, that just, as that came out, I thought, oh, no. So we'll say Peter Antichrist. <laughs> I don't think that way, by the way, don't. don't. Let's pray and go home. <laughs> so Peter Antichrist makes this peace treaty with Israel and things begin to like completely settle in the Middle East and doing that. If all of that took place tomorrow, what would Christians be doing? You guys have a blank look. What would you do? I would get start screaming, that's the Antichrist. What's the matter with you? That's, I think any believer that's really studied their Bible, they're gonna be shouting, that's the Antichrist. Who's restraining him from being shown? We are because we will identify him. We will bust him out. Listen, when he comes, he's not gonna have a T-shirt, I am the Antichrist and I'm taking over the world. He's gonna be a charismatic individual. Everybody's gonna think he's a peacemaker. Everybody's gonna wanna worship him. He's gonna be a really good guy. 
essence, we're going to go, no, look at who he is. Here's your Bible. So I think we're restraining him. So when he says, we will be, you know, the restrainer will be taken out of the way, I think that's the church. And then he's going to be revealed. And then we got to stop here. Look at, and then verse 8, and we'll come back to this next week a little bit more. But verse 8 says, and then the lawless one will be revealed uh, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Here's what's interesting to me. From verse three to verse eight, Paul has gone, from, has gone through the entire tribulation period, right? He started when the Antichrist is set up and he ends when Jesus comes back. You need to know something. Did you read there's not a big battle when Jesus comes back? When the Lord comes back, how does he destroy him? He doesn't even use a sword. It's the breath of his mouth. It's the brightness of his coming. You need to understand there's not a great battle between God and Satan. It always bugs me when people say that. Do you know that God and Satan are locked in a battle? No, they're not. They're not even close to being in. Listen, that's so ridiculous. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. It would be like an ant coming up to me and saying, you want a piece of this? Yeah, I'll take a piece of that any day of the week, right? Listen, you need to know that. What is actually happening in the history of the world? I can give you the history of the world in a nutshell. God made a promise, and Satan is doing everything he can to keep him from keeping that promise. If he can keep God from making the promise, then he wins, and God's a liar, that's all, listen, that's what everything boils down to. Whether you're talking about Eve in the garden, whether you're talking about Cain and Abel, whether you're talking about Abraham, whether you're talking about Israel and their ups and downs. Listen, why did Satan so want to destroy Israel? If he can keep Israel from, from existing, guess what happens? The Messiah can't come. And he worked hard. Do you know, if you study your Bible real close, do you know it got down to one person? I think if you're taking odds at that time, you would be betting it ain't gonna work out. God did not go, oh my gosh, we're down to one person is gonna keep this whole thing together. God has it together. And he had it together through them. He brought the Messiah. What's the first thing he does, Satan does after the Messiah is born? He wants to kill all the newborn in, in, in Bethlehem to take care, trying to catch him. And then et cetera, et cetera. Once, once Jesus won on the cross, Satan thought he won the victory. Jesus rose again on the third day. Now he's trying to keep everybody from believing in him. And he's desperately working to keep him from coming back. It's not going to happen. So here's, here's the whole point of what Paul's telling us. Jesus comes back and wins the battle. And again, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter your position or what you're looking at in some ways, in some ways it does, but listen carefully. God wins whether you're reading Thessalonians, whether you're reading Revelation, whether you're reading Daniel, God wins every time. We need to know that. And we need to live our lives in that way. We need to understand, hey, if things get really bad, again, a lot of people have asked me, do I think we're in the beginning of the tribulation? No, I don't, listen, this isn't even close for a couple reasons. One is, this is pretty minor compared to what you read in the book of Revelation about plagues and stuff. Number two, although I know it's a serious plague, but, but talk about it. But number two, these things have not happened. And these things have to happen before the tribulation begins 
the Antichrist has to set himself up, and we need to know that. If I'm wrong about the church getting raptured, here's what I know. God will take us through that, and some of us, most of us, I would venture to say all of us, you're gonna die. Just giving you a word of encouragement. <laughs> yes, that's why I like this service. Somebody's always happy about something. So we're not gonna make it to the end. So, you know, I got good friends that are, you know, they're survivalists. I got my stuff. And I'm going, yeah, really? What are you gonna do when someone comes for your stuff? I'm gonna shoot them. That's what I'm gonna do. And they go, ah, that's not very Christ-like now, is it? Now you got a dilemma on your hands. So anyway, we can trust God. He knows the beginning from the end. And he's setting these people in Thessalonica up for success. Don't be duped. So we were gonna go all the way to verse 12, so you can read that. We're gonna come back. We'll, we'll develop six through 12 a little bit more next week and kind of look at it and, and get our teeth into it. And then after that, I think we'll kind of go away from eschatology for a little bit so you guys can cool off. Everybody who I offended, God bless you, but you have to forgive me because that's what Jesus says. So we're good to go, right? Hey, let's stand up and pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you do give us warnings. And you do give us the scripture, Lord, that can wake us up and make us realize there's things going on that are so much bigger than us. We get so myopic and looking at our view and our world and we don't like what's happening and you know we go through things. Man, there is stuff going on according to your plan that we get to be part of. And so I pray, I pray God that you would do a work in our hearts. I don't want us to go around just touting some stuff and, and numbers and different things and things that I want us to be people who we are enamored with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're overwhelmed with your love for us and your grace in our lives. And let us communicate that to the world around us. Let us be that picture of what our God looks like as we walk with you. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in the attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, you've never asked him to come into your life, today is the day to do it. Right now, right now is the time. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And by that, here's what we mean. You need to come to the place where you can admit you're a sinner. And that shouldn't be hard. Listen, the Bible says we've all sinned, but I don't even think we need that. I think we all know we've sinned. We've sinned against a holy and righteous God. And you know in your heart, you know who you are, you know what you've done. So I think it's important that, that you know, that you, you kind of just understand that. And then you gotta let God know that you know you sinned. It's not so that he knows, it's so that you know. And then as you admit you sin, you gotta have a heart that's saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I offended you. I'm sorry I sinned against you. And the Bible says the wages of those sin, the payment that you owe, is death. And you can't pay that. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came and took your place. 
He didn't just die physically, he died spiritually. And he paid that debt you owe. And here this morning, right now, right now in this place, he's handing you a receipt that says, your debt is paid in full. Take this, trust me. And the way you can do that is by talking to God. So I'm gonna say a prayer. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. You can do it out loud, you can do it silently. And yes, I'm trying to put words in your mouth, but I'm just trying to help you. Say this prayer and, and be honest with God, be sincere with God, and he'll hear this prayer. If you're backslidden, come home, man. Come back to Jesus. And say this prayer. If you're watching online at home or someplace else, hey, if God's speaking to you this morning, say this prayer. Come to that relationship with him. You don't have to be in this building to say the prayer. Jesus, today I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.